Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. The fifth episode of our series on Jeremiah covers chapters 26 through 29 and events that take place at different times, but which are united by the theme of truth. Jeremiah chapter 26, and we're going to go through from Jeremiah 26 through 29 today. Have relatively short passage today. Might even be manageable. Who knows? We, we might even might even get done. Uh, we'll see if we can what we can do about this. From this point forward, most of what we read about Jeremiah, up until this point, most of these writings, Jeremiah has been writing in the first person. We have been seeing Jeremiah's words, I, me, and Jeremiah has been at the center of everything that he's been doing. Jeremiah is really one with his prophecy and and one with his ministry. You can't separate the man from the ministry in Jeremiah. In from this passage on, most of what we read from Jeremiah, most of what we read in this book about Jeremiah is going to be in third person. Suggesting that what we have from this point forward is a collection made by somebody else. And scholars are pretty well agreed the most likely person for that was the man that Jeremiah employed as a scribe, Baruch. And we talked about Baruch last week. Uh, Baruch probably is responsible for the section for putting together the album that we that we heard last week. Uh, Baruch was ostensibly, as we're told, and we find out more about a little bit about Baruch later on in the book of Jeremiah we haven't we don't see so much of him today matter of fact we don't see him at all today but we'll we'll meet Baruch personally a little bit later on but Baruch presents himself in the book of Jeremiah as being Jeremiah's scribe I think he was way more than Jeremiah's scribe I think you could say he was at very at the very least Jeremiah's disciple he may not have come up to the point of himself being recognized as a prophet. But he was so faithful in recording the words of the prophet and so faithful in his manner of writing down that which the prophet spoke that the, that the writings that Baruch put together of Jeremiah have been considered basically as the writing of Jeremiah and have been received as prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures. What we have from this point forward is more like what we see in chapter 26 through chapter 29 is kind of like somebody who is close to the person writing and publishing an article telling about the rest of the story. The part of this that you didn't hear about And when the album 
came out, you didn't know about this, but this was what was going on. Or these are the, this is what was happening behind the scenes of these albums that were produced. And this is kind of what we see in this passage today. And what, what, but what we've got is there, there are things, there are different episodes, but they're bound together by a particular theme. And that theme has to do with truth. And the binder of that theme, what, what actually puts forward that and brings that out is the conflict between Jeremiah, the prophet of God, and those who were the professional prophets of his day. There is not in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament a word for false prophet. There was a word that was coined in the Greek translation of the Hebrew text of false prophets, pseudo-prophetes. But the word false prophet is not used. The word false is not ever interjected here. So these people who are false prophets are simply known as the prophets. Which is, you think, you know, now if you're approaching this like a good devotional student of the Bible, you'd be confused by that because you're thinking, how do we know the difference between, how do we know when it's talking about real prophets and false prophets? That's exactly the thing that we need to wrestle with. How do you indeed tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? Because false prophets do not wear a sign that say, I am a false prophet, do they? So what we're going to see is the conflict between Jeremiah and the false prophets. But the false prophets were not recognized as false prophets in that day. In that day, they were simply prophets. What was the content of their message? What was Jeremiah's controversy with them? How did that all work out? And how does that convey something to us that we need to know about what is truth. See, Pilate asked that question. What is truth? Pilate had no way of figuring it out. He had no way to know the difference between a true teacher and a false teacher, between a true prophet and a false prophet. To him, it was all the same. So it is with many people in our day. So it is with many in the church in our day. How do you know the difference? So, we're going to look at this. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Stand in the, courts, stand in the court of the Lord's house. Speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen and turn everyone from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I've set before you and to listen to the word of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. You recognize that? You remember that? Back in chapter 7, most scholars are agreed. This is the backstory for what was going on in the sermon that Jeremiah preached back in chapter 7, in which he came and declared this judgment upon the temple. 
don't, and in that passage in Jeremiah chapter 7, it says, don't keep, don't keep telling me. God says to you, don't keep telling me. The temple, the temple, the temple. It's not about the temple. I will make this temple like Shiloh. Do you remember Shiloh? Shiloh used to be the place of the sanctuary of God. It is no more. It is no more. That place was leveled. That place was destroyed. And I took away from it both the ark and the altar. And this place could become like Shiloh. If you do not repent. If you do not obey me. This is the message that's been all the way through from the days of the law until now. Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And all of the prophets witnessed that all the way through. Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obedience, not sacrifice. That's what I want. Your sacrifices have a place. They display my grace to you. But obedience is better than sacrifice. Give me your obedience or your sacrifices are worthless. Obedience is the demonstration Okay, here's, is, is, the dem, is the demonstration of the meaning of the sacrifice. The burnt offering on the altar. What does that mean? That means, God, my, my whole life belongs to you. I keep nothing back for myself. <clears throat> if you go and do as you please in a disobedient way, then you have lied with your sacrifice. Your sacrifice means nothing. And avails nothing. So, and Gary, I was just—I started reading Malachi. Mm-hmm. When the beginning where it talks about the—they were sacrificing, but even their sacrifices were bad. Yeah. <laughs> they were lame, and they were yeah, yeah, you're, and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, they were supposedly keeping the letter, of, but they certainly—they weren't even keeping the letter of the law. I mean, they—they were—they yeah, were bringing, they were. Nah, I'm, God, I will give you my... No, take this one. Here. Right. I didn't need that one anyway. Right. So, God doesn't like to get your cast-offs. So now notice here in the backstory there, notice what God specifically commanded Jeremiah. Look at verse... Uh, look in verse 2, at the end of verse 2. Tell them all the words I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. God is very specific to Jeremiah. I think it's because Jeremiah was looking back at God saying, you sure about this? Really? I mean, you remember that scene in the movie Patton toward the end of the movie where there's this discussion between uh, General Patton and the Russian general and the interpreter and Patton tells the interpreter give him, give the other Russian general a profane message, and he looks back at him and says, I can't tell him that. He says, tell him every word. This is kind of, you know, like, so this is kind of, Jeremiah is giving him that look. Lord, you sure about this? He said, tell him every word. Don't hold back a single word. We're going to find out in a minute the significance of that instruction. 
So he tells them. Verse 7. The priests and the prophets and the people. All the people. That means all the people who were there, not all the people everywhere. You know, I mean, just obviously all the people that were there. Speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all the, now notice what's ha- happening in, in Judah at this time. Okay, now there are certain things that we know. We know that from the books of the kings, and we know it from what Jeremiah the prophet has already told us. The, the people practice idolatry. They do it routinely. They do it at the... Uh, at the recommendation of the king. The king wants them to be idolatrous. The king wants them to practice Baalism and idolatry and worship the, uh, the other gods. Of the-, the king has encouraged widespread idolatry. With all of that, they're still coming to church. Somebody might say, well, that's a good thing. I guess probably is. Now, here's the difference between Jehoiakim and Manasseh. Jehoiakim does not, like his father, like his grandfather Manasseh, close the temple up or turn the temple into an openly idolatrous space. Jehoiakim lets the temple stay open as his father Josiah had let it stay open. Had, you know, he doesn't he doesn't repeal formally repeal the reforms of his father Josiah. He does not repeal the reforms of Josiah. He just repeals that part that forbid idol worship. And so the pe- and the people are all for that. Hey, let's do it all. But let's make sure that God gets our quarter in the slot. Cover all the bases. So they heard all the, the priests. So you've got the priests, the prophets, and all the people. Now, what's looming in the background? <clears throat> Babylon. Babylonia's resurgence as a power. Countering, and meanwhile, you've got all of the intrigue. You've got Egypt going, you know, and, and thinking that Egypt is trying to maintain control of this part of the Fertile Crescent, maintain control of the western region of the Fertile Crescent. And so you've got Babylon as the resurgence in the eastern part of the Fertile fertile Crescent. And so you've got this whole political mess back here. And you've got Judah. And Judah has a pragmatic king. They've got a pragmatic. You know, we've got in our own day, we've got this term. You know, that that seems to be what a lot of people want to see. We want to see a leader who is pragmatic. We want to see a leader who can take... Uh, who can pick and choose which side he wants to be on depending on which is the most advantageous side. And Jehoiakim felt very self-confident about being able to to pick and to choose the right side. And he fluctuated. Sometimes he was an ally of Egypt. Sometimes he was an ally of Babylon. Then he went back to be an ally of Egypt. Just depending on which ways the political wind was blowing. So this is all the kind of the political background. And Jeremiah says, you don't want to be messing with this stuff. You need to listen to what God is saying and find out what God is doing in this world. And you can do that by listening to the prophets that God is sending to you. Well, the priests and the prophets 
And all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah finished speaking, well, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him saying, you shall die. The Hebrew idiom for that is dying, you shall die. That means they were really, they were, they were bound and determined. You're in for it. It's very emphatic. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord saying this house shall be like Shiloh and this city shall be desolate? Now, what are they all upset about? What are they all in a tither over? What has really ticked them off? That's what God... They didn't care about being told that they weren't doing right. But what got them was their... Because what Jeremiah was doing was undercutting their patriotic fervor, their support for the kingdom of Judah. We're, we're, we're Judeans and we've never been licked. Really? Really? So they did this in verse 10 when the officials of Judah so now you've got somebody else in this drama okay you've got the priests and the, and the prophets the religious leaders and the people and now you've got the government officials so now you've got the government involved so they found out about this and they didn't want a lynching, lynching so they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord they took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord this here is the most detailed account of a trial that is in the Old Testament. The second most detailed account is the trial of Naboth in the book of 2 Kings. Or was it 1 Kings? In the Kings. But here, here is the most detailed account of a trial. You've got the arrest, the charges, the hearing, you know, the accusations being made, the defense, and the judgment. I mean, we've, you've got a, a complete trial basically just taking place here, and it's all a one-day deal. So they heard, they, they came up from the king's house, they took their seat, they... And the priests and the prophets brought and said to the officials and to all the people, so they're the ones who are, who are the uh, prosecutors here. This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Notice what has taken them off. He has blasphemed the city. Now if Jeremiah had come out speaking blasphemies against the name of the Lord, they wouldn't have yawned. But he came out and he blasphemed the city and they want to kill him. Kind of like Jesus in Jerusalem. Remember what the charges against Jesus were and why they put him to death? And the same thing happened to Stephen, the first of the Christian martyrs. What did, what really was it that set off the Jewish religious leaders to make them, first of all, want, decide to put Jesus to death and then later on to actually take Stephen out and just stone him before the Romans found out about it? 
they spoke to their mind, they spoke against the temple. This is the difference between religion and faith. Of course, we have the Muslims in our day and the radical Muslims who get all up in arms and want to destroy everything in sight when someone happens to suggest that Muhammad may not have been a true prophet of God. You know, burn the place, bomb the place, suicide bombers, everything, you know, destroy, you know, fatwa against the newspaper that published the article, you know, whatever. Riots in the streets because someone suggested that Jesus Christ might be superior to Muhammad. Then Jeremiah spoke to all of the officials and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city, all the words you've heard. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will relent of the disaster he's pronounced against you. Now the, accuser beca- the accused becomes the accuser. But as for me, behold, I'm in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you'll bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak to you all, the, all these words in, this, in your ears. He said, Jeremiah's word, I know what I'm saying is the truth. And I know that God sent me to tell you this. You do with me what you're going to do. But you better understand, God will hold you accountable for what you do to me as well as all of these other things. Because I know, you can test what what I say, but I know for certain who sent me, and I know that what I'm saying is the truth. And it's going to happen. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he's spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. So now they're giving the decision. And the explanation of the decision, certain of the elders of the land rose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house of wooded height did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent upon the disaster he had pronounced against them? We're about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. And so the, the judgment and the decision goes back to a precedent. You look back, the prophet Micah prophesied, and, and this is a direct quote from Micah. And this is an unusual thing. You've got a prophet in the Bible quoting another prophet in the Bible which suggests a number of things. One of the things it suggests to us in in terms of the way that the Bible was put together, because we don't have a specific record of how the Bible was put together. It It just is there. And so a lot of people come up with a lot of theories, but you've got to reckon with the fact that they are collecting the writings of the prophets. And the writings of Micah were right there at hand and is directly quoted in Jeremiah here. They looked back and said, when Micah said these words, and these are pretty harsh. (coughs) King Hezekiah didn't have Micah put to death. People of Judah didn't have Micah put to death. As a matter of fact, they got on their knees and they repented before God. But God spared the city for a while anyway. Maybe he might do that for us. 
somebody is thinking sanely, despite the fact that the king is an infidel. There's still some people in Judah. There's still some government officials who aren't completely corrupt. The religious establishment is corrupt, but there's still some people in government who aren't. J. Vernon McGee, I was reading his comment on this past yesterday, and pointed out, said, you know, when uh, it's a bad thing for society when government officials become corrupt, but it's even worse when religious people become corrupt. Because when religious people get corrupt, they are way worse than anybody else. Well, just to let us know what Jeremiah's stakes are in all of this. There is interceded here this little story, this little anecdote. Just to let you know by way of comparison. Jeremiah got off the hook that day. Somebody stood up and spoke for him. And Jeremiah got off the hook. That wasn't so for all the prophets of God. There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against this city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim and all, with all his warriors and all the officials heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. When Uriah heard of it, he was afraid. He fled and escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, Nathan, son of Akor, and others with him. And they took Uriah from Egypt and brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with a sword and dumped his dead body into the burial place of the common people. There's some who were persecuted. Well, Jeremiah was persecuted but not struck down. There are some others who were martyred. And they entered in. If you remember, Jeremiah has spoken some words about innocent blood being shed, and I think among those that he had in mind were Uriah, son of Shemaiah. But the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. So Jeremiah had some people standing for him. Uriah didn't have that. That's, that's from the Lord. That's from the Lord. The point is, Jeremiah's, the perilous times of Jeremiah, and look at the fickleness of the people. You couldn't count on them. If you think that Jeremiah's words turned the hearts of the people that day. You're mistaken. There was no repentance that came out of that. Jeremiah escaped with his life, but there was no repentance that came out of that episode. Nobody's mind was changed. Nobody's heart was changed. So, God sends Jeremiah on a mission. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, another king, another episode. Same group of stories because we've got this theme that's being presented, the theme of truth and the contest by those who don't love the truth. The Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. So Jeremiah made himself a double oxen yoke, a double piece oxen yoke, top bar, bottom bar, made of oak. Connected with leather straps. Hang them on your neck. Jeremiah, after you're done with this, you are going to need a chiropractor. Send word 
to the king of Egypt. Okay, now what we've got, you've got kings of the several kingdoms surrounding Judah that are named here. Remember, Jeremiah was sent not just as a prophet to Judah, but as a prophet to the nations, chapter 1. And Jeremiah sends a message to these kings through the envoys that had been sent to Jerusalem. There are, for some reason, the kings of these kingdoms had sent envoys to Jerusalem to meet for a big meeting there with King Zedekiah. King Zedekiah is the new king that's come up. An astonishingly weak man. We're going to find out more about his character later on. Absolutely the wrong man for the wrong time. But they send, they send word. Uh, they've got this big meeting going on. And I'm sure they're probably there to pressure Zedekiah. To do what he ended up doing. Which was splitting. Basically betraying his, the treaty that they at, at this time had with Babylonia. There have been already two captivities to Babylon, two deportations to Babylon, but Jerusalem still stands, the temple still stands. The kingdom still actually is going on. And King Zedekiah is in charge of the kingdom of Judah. He is a puppet ruler under Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar's got, got a few problems on his hands. There's a revolt going on in Babylon right now. So Nebuchadnezzar's not paying much attention to what's going on in the western part of the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar's got his hands full putting down an insurrection that's going on right now. This is the time that the other kings are thinking, now we're going to get together. And now we're going to overthrow. Nebuchadnezzar is weak. He will be able to, to do this. Well, Jeremiah sends them a message. He said, you don't want to do what you're planning to do. Now, by the way, who's telling Jeremiah what they're planning to do? Jeremiah have any messengers inside? Does Jeremiah get a ticket to go to this conference? There, are there any... Jeremiah's get, receiving any press leaks? No, I don't think so. Jeremiah knows what's going on. The same reason he knows what's going on in the rest of the world. God is giving him the message because he is the messenger of God. Thus says the Lord. I want you to say, send this message back. Take this message back to your master. Now he's standing there in the public convocation of all of these envoys that are there. This public gathering these envoys are present. And Jeremiah is standing there with this, ha- this homemade yoke hanging on his neck. This homemade ox yoke hanging on his neck. And he, say, he goes up to them and he says, This is what God wants to say to you. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. This is what you may say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with men and animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever seems right to me. Now I've given these lands to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Notice what he calls Nebuchadnezzar. He's my servant. Now, Jeremiah, this, this term has been used before in Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah, said, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. Later on that, in the same sermon in which he called him his servant, he said, don't worry, I'm going to fire him. 
in a good time. But right now, I've got a job for him to do. I've given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and grandson until the time of his own land comes. Now that's not, that basically is saying that his reign is going to last through his life and for two more generations. And then, and then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But, if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and put his neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. It is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work and dwell there, declares the Lord. And then to Zedekiah, king of Judah, I spoke in like manner. Now, all of a sudden you, you switch back to the first person. So you've got this episode being, that's being included in here that has been written by the hand of Jeremiah. So you see, when you see the third person, that's somebody writing, you know, writing about this, and framing this, and now we see this is Jeremiah's own message. These are from Jeremiah's own notes. So to King, so this is what I said to Zedekiah. Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Verse 14, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. It is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name. Why would anybody do that? There's no money in telling people there's what they don't want to hear. You're not going to get many customers. If you're in the religion business, I can talk like that, I'm a preacher. If you're in the religion business, you're not going to get many paying customers when you tell people what they don't want to hear. Just after the Civil War, there was a drunkard in Georgia who was converted to Christ, repented, felt God was calling him to preach. His name was Sam P. Jones. So he went from being an attorney at law and a drunk to a sober preacher of righteousness. Basic message throughout all of his life, throughout all of his ministry was God's gospel is that a man quit his meanness. And one of his most famous sermons was quit your meanness. His idea, he preached repentance. He preached get your life straight. Straighten up. You can't live. A, you, to obey is better than sacrifice. Don't just come to church. Don't just sing these hymns. Don't just tell God how much you love Him. Live your life straight. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Workers, give an honest day's work and don't steal from your employer. Employers, pay your workers a decent wage and don't steal their labor and lives from them. Get your life straight. Put away your evil habits. Put away your sins. Straighten your life up. Well, he got put on the Methodist circuit 
and his, the churches that were on his circuit didn't appreciate his preaching much after a while. They started withholding their tithe from him. Because it's not very popular to preach what people don't want to hear. And his wife got real concerned about it. Says, what are we going to do? We don't have any money. We're not going to be able to feed the children. Said, well, wife, don't worry. If we starve to death, we'll just tell everyone we died of typhoid. No shame. That's the way he dealt with it. <laughs> Basically, bulled his way through it and continued. Eventually, he became a preacher. You, you perhaps have heard the name of Dwight L. Moody. In his day, Sam P. Jones was as famous as Dwight L. Moody. That was his message. Which meant the, the deal is, you don't get much business if you tell people what they don't want to hear. Especially you know, if you're a prophet and you can read. You know, you know what the, especially if you're talking to rich, powerful, influential, important people. You want to tell them what they want to hear. You want to tell them that this investment is going to make a lot of money. You want to tell them that this, uh, that this uh, you're waging war on this country, is, you're going to win this war. You, you want to tell them the things that they want to hear. Jeremiah says, don't believe them. God says, I didn't send them. They're making this up. Verse 16. Then I spoke to the priests and to all this people saying, thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you saying, behold, the vessel of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon. It's a lie that they're prophesying to you. The, the prophets in order to keep Everybody enthusiastic and happy and proud and pleased in Jerusalem. They were telling the people in Jerusalem, you know, were, the prophets, the, the message that was going out. And this was a popular message. This was the, this was the message. And one of the ways that you kind of know uh, whether it's true, false, true prophets or false prophets, kind of look and see if it's a trend. It's probably not from the Lord. The Lord doesn't follow trends. And there was a trend in prophecy it was just kind of like they were repeating one another. Everybody was coming up with a different version of the same happy stuff. And the happy stuff was all those people that Nebuchadnezzar carried back and all those things from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar carried to Babylon, they're going to be returning home soon. They're all going to be coming home. Thus says the Lord, everything is coming home. We're all going to have a reunion. It's all good. God is good to us. He's going to, he's going to deliver us. You'll see, you'll see. It's all wonderful. It's a lie that they're prophesying to you. Don't listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city become a desolation? If they're prophets and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them intercede with the Lord of hosts that the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah and Jerusalem, may not go to Babylon. If they're real prophets, let them intercede that the stuff that hasn't been taken stays here. The stuff that has been taken is not coming home anytime soon. Verse 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day when I visit them, declares the Lord. And then I will bring them back 
and restore them to this place. Now, here's what they, the people were looking They were looking at the natural rise and fall of everything. They were, there, they were looking at the, at the world's events, and they were thinking that they could read the events of the world. They were thinking that they could figure things out by the way things were happening. They had heard the reports. They knew that Nebuchadnezzar was having troubles over there, and they all just engaged in this massive wishful thinking, Nebuchadnezzar. It's on his way down. He's on his way out. And Nebuchadnezzar will be gone. And our great enemy will be dead. And our great enemy will be overthrown. And that means we shall be delivered and everybody will get to come home. And Jeremiah saying, don't kid yourself. It ain't going to happen. The exact opposite is going to happen because God has decreed it. Don't you understand? You don't even understand the reason for it. You have never, and the reason that they're going for the false prophets is that they have never accepted the premise that Jeremiah has given them for the true prophecy, which is God has brought you under judgment because you have disobeyed his law and violated his covenant. They've never accepted that. They've never accepted the fact that they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, they will not accept the fact that the wages of sin is death. No, there's got to be another explanation. Notice how God says, I will bring them back to this place. It wasn't just negative. Everybody looked at Jeremiah and said, eh, it's just negative. They didn't hear. God's still in control. God still considers you his people. And he always will. That will never be given up. God will not change that. And God will be gracious. But he will not let this sin go unpunished. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, son of Azar, prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people. Again, notice the first person. This is a personal memory, personal journal note from Jeremiah. So here's the scene. They're in the temple. Jeremiah is still wearing that yoke. He's been carrying it around for weeks. <coughs> this has been an amazing thing. This has been because it's a, an amazing visual. Jeremiah will not let this thing go in spite of all of the naysayers against him. Jeremiah will not let this thing go that the judgment is coming and we are, in order to survive this, we are going to have to submit to the rule of the king of Babylon. He will not let this go. And he's still wearing that yoke and it's having a powerful public relations impact. And it has dispirited the false prophets, excuse me, the prophets, the professional prophets. One of them, Hananiah, comes and stands face to face, eye to eye with Jeremiah in the temple in front of God and everybody. And I'm using that expression literally. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is what Hananiah says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. 
Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah son of Jehoiakim king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah and the prophet in the presence of all the priests and people who are standing in the house of the Lord. Can't wait to find out what Jeremiah is going to say. Now look at what Hananiah has done. You see it? Hananiah has stood there, directly refuted the prophecy of Jeremiah, and look that Hananiah has all of the marks of a true prophet. He's speaking with authority in the name of the Lord. He is being specific. Usually the false prophets weren't specific. They were kind of general. Oh yeah, go and do all that's in your heart. The Lord will bless you. All of these things. And they were being, you know, they would create these pictures, but they weren't specific. He was specific. Two years, they're all going to be home. Including the king in exile. Which couldn't make Zedekiah feel very comfortable because now he's the king regent. So, Julia, all of these things are going to come. And he says, and he's definite, he's specific, he speaks with authority. It just sounds very much like he's got a word. And Jeremiah stands there and notice that Jeremiah does not argue with him. Jeremiah does not refute him. Prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May, I, I'm, I'm sure that this, that uh, Hananiah was looking and expect, he was braced for, he was braced for a, an outburst from Jeremiah. He was ready for it. I mean, it was just kind of, he was ready for it. Come on. I'm, here we go. And Jeremiah, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. See, people didn't understand that. that, Jeremiah didn't want the exile. (coughs) Jeremiah didn't want it. Jeremiah wept over all of this. Everything that he was saying, Jeremiah wept over. Broke his heart. And when Hananiah came up with this prophecy, it took Jeremiah back a little bit and says, I pray that everything that you said happens. I pray that every day. God hadn't been listening to me much. Yet now hear this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of the people, of all the people. Now notice what he says here. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. And as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent a prophet. Basically what he's saying, it's on you, man. You really want to do this? You really want to follow through with this? You better count the cost. Because what you're doing is going against the true prophecy, every true prophecy that has been given in the last 400 years.
Then the prophet Hananiah doubles down. He took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet. Okay, think about this. Remember, Jeremiah did this at the, at the bidding of the Lord. And all of Jeremiah's message was, the Lord told me to wear this in your presence. Hananiah takes it upon himself to say, this is what the word of the Lord is. And takes that yoke that Jeremiah has been parading around in for weeks, perhaps months. Takes it off of his neck. And bashes it against the pavement and breaks it. <clears throat> and Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, go call Hananiah. <laughs> go tell Hananiah. Thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars. You have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I've put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given to him even the beasts of the field. That's pretty comprehensive. <coughs> And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. That's just within weeks. We don't know how he died. Was it sickness, heart attack? Stroke, anvil fell on his head. We don't know. He said, This is how you're going to know. This is how everybody's going to know. In front of all the people, Jeremiah said, Ananiah, you're not going to make it to see the disaster that you've brought upon this people by causing them to believe a lie that you've told them. <clears throat> it is a fearful thing to stand and to, this is the whole point of this is you've got the word of God you don't deviate from it and if you don't have the word of God shut up at least in terms of speaking in his name and speaking for him the word of God is not your feeling about what ought to happen the word of God is not your opinion about how things ought to be the word of God is his own word and his own guidance and his own counsel of what's going to happen. And his word will take place and your word will die. His word will endure forever. I'll continue. In chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the prophets, the uh, priests, the prophets, and all the people. And Jeremiah got the report from the, about the exiles in Babylon. <coughs> Basically, it was everybody, everybody, everybody is living as refugees there. Nobody is going. Now, once they got into the Babylon, once Jeremiah had taken them and gotten them into the place. He expected them, put down roots, stay here. This is your new home. 
This is where you were going to live. You were going to serve my kingdom, but you serve me and you will live. This is your new home. Forget about the old place. This is your new place. Well, they refused to do that. They didn't give it up. They were living in tents like refugees. And nobody was doing what they needed to do. They weren't providing for their family. They were living like beggars. They were, it was just a terrible situation because everybody was expecting at any time we're going to be leaving this place. And the false prophets were keeping their hopes up. They thought that that was what, was, what they were supposed to do. Keep these people's hopes alive. Keep them alive. We need to, in order to stay alive as a people, we need to keep alive the hope of returning back to our homes. This is not your home anymore. That wasn't, that's not your home anymore. This is your new home. So Jeremiah sent him a letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, verse 4, to all the exiles I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat your produce, take wives and sons and, for your sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they may be, bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. If that place does well, you'll do well. If that city has peace, you'll have peace. If that city prospers, you will prosper. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and don't listen to the dreams that they dream. It's a lie that they are prophesying in my, to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's a verse in here that's often lifted right out of context and floated around in lots of, you know, nice little notes. and you know, everybody, you know, it's a, But look at it in its context. Look at what it's saying. I know the plans that I have for you. What's taking place in your life is not random. And the judgment that has fallen you has come, in from, has come from me, not just from the chance forces of the universe that worked against you. It's not just bad luck. I know the plans that I have for you. I know where I've brought you. I know where you are now. And I know where I'm going to take you from here. Do you understand that everything that God had in mind, it's all about Christ? Do you remember our study of Kings? It's all about Christ. It looked for all the world like the devil had won. But God has always had His people. He's always had His root. Always, there was always the promise. And God's promise will be fulfilled. And God's promise in you will be fulfilled. His word will not fall short of what he has said. But it doesn't mean that your life is going to be happy all the day. So sometimes we can take these verses and make them Pollyanna things. The more, the more crucial verse than this, than the one that says, I know the plans I have for you, is this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. 
None of this half-hearted stuff. None of this come to church on your own expectations and expect to go away feeling good. And then you'll know that, then you'll know you've had an experience with the Lord. Seek me with your whole heart. When you're serious, I'll be there. And you'll find me. Thus says 70 years. Look on to verse, verse 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I'm sending on the false prophets sword, famine, and pestilence. I will make them like vile. Or he's talking about the people of Judah. The false prophets are telling you, you know, the people, we're going to win back home. We're going to win this war. And there, then you'll be brought home. No. I'm going to make them like figs that are vile figs that are so rotten they can't be eaten. Verse 19, because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord. I persistently sent to you by servants, my servants, the prophets. You wouldn't listen, declares the Lord. Basically, he's telling the exiles, you don't want to be here. You do not want to be here for what's getting ready to happen here. You are in a place of safety. You feel like you've been under the judgment of God. In a way you have, but you have been taken out of here for his safekeeping. The blitz is getting ready to happen here. You do not want to be here when this happens. And then he, then he calls out a couple of false prophets in particular. Verse 21. <laughs> I love it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, son of Maasa, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. That's, I mean, these guys are going to become a proverb. And when you want to cuss somebody out, you can may the Lord make you like one of these guys. That's what's going to happen to them. Why? Because they've done an outrageous thing in Israel. They've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives. And they've spoken in my name lying words that I didn't command them. I'm the one who knows and I'm witness, declares the Lord. And when they got this word, I wonder, uh, wouldn't you like to have seen their faces when this letter from Jeremiah was read? Well, that didn't stop there. There's a letter that came back from there written to the priests and to the leaders in Israel saying, you need to make Jeremiah shut up. He's discouraging people by the letters that he's writing here. So Zephaniah the priest, who probably is an ally of Jeremiah, probably a holdover from the Josiah administration. So Je Zephaniah doesn't arrest Jeremiah like this guy wants him to. He reads Jeremiah the letter, and so Jeremiah sends back a letter saying... This is verse 30. Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah, son of Nehalem, because Shemaiah prophesied to you when I didn't send him and made you trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalem and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among this people. He shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. True false prophets and false for a while, for any given time. First of all, if you were to take a poll, of true and false prophecy, if it comes down to it, the example of the scripture is go with the minority report. Amen? Go with the one that goes against what you want in your life. Go with the one that goes against what you want to happen, that grates against you like sandpaper. That's likely to be the true prophecy. Listen to it. Give ear to it. If it's against what your flesh wants, 
it's more likely to be a true prophecy. If it's the majority report that makes you feel good, it's very likely a lie. Stay with the Word of God. But, above all things, be very, very careful. James, the book of James says, you be, don't let there be a whole lot of teachers among them. Because don't you understand, that when you're standing and teaching the Word of God, there is a higher sense of accountability on you. There is a higher level of accountability on you. It is a fearful thing to mishandle the Word of God. been listening to the fifth of ten episodes covering the book of Jeremiah. He's called the Weeping Prophet, and much of his message is about judgment, but in our next episode, we'll be looking at a passage often called Jeremiah's Book of Comfort. I hope you'll tune in. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.